is the blues on the street. Parade's complete, and Gloria is the new queen. You can't forsake the team in last place as they sang the Bruins to sleep. My memory is scummy, was this podcast that I'm in? Man, last season's out again, and Brink Moose is back in. Hey Pierre, what's wrong? What's going on? No team's gonna cut you a deal. Mitch said, hey Austin, you're awesome. Drop your pants and shock them. Now score like your game's freaking near. Unfriggin' believable. Sen's got no stars or snipers, but it's best draft in years. At least fans can't sleep easy, because here comes Lafreniere. Hello there, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Rink Moose Hockey Podcast, a weekly episodic podcast where two good friends gather around a table and discuss all things NHL and their implications in the fantasy hockey universe. universe. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Costu, along with this schmuck to my left, Kyle Nice. Kyle, how are you doing on this lovely was a Saturday afternoon in Kingston, Ontario. Saturday afternoon. It's it's a unique setup we got going right now. We're in a new studio, quite nice. Nick's student home, <laughs> great place, re- really clean, and uh, we've got a new round table, the Leafs round table. So why don't we uh, pass it over to these fellas here, Nick, and they can introduce themselves. Hi everybody. I'm Michael Robson. Uh, I'm friends with Nick. Uh, I go to law school with him and play hockey occasionally with the guy as well. Um, I'm also losing to Kyle in fantasy hockey this week, getting absolutely destroyed thanks to some poor performances by the Calgary Flames and and assorted other teams. Uh, I'm happy to be on today and joining these guys talking all things hockey. Hi guys, um, my name is Joseph Camilleri. I'm a good friend of Nick's. Uh, we met in first year. We've been friends ever since. Uh, I can't skate. I'm a terrible athlete, um, but I am a huge hockey fan, um, huge Leaf fan, very passionate Leaf fan, as you guys will learn today. And I'm really happy to be on the show to uh, talk about the Leafs and just give my perspective on uh, a very, I think, important and interesting week in, in Leafsland. So it's going to be exciting. One thing I'll say about Joe before we, and I just met the guy, but I'm telling you guys right now, this is the most thoroughbred Leafs fan we've ever had on this show by a fucking mile. So it's going to be great. To, again, perspectives is everything for any good content. We've got a thoroughbred Leafs fan, and Mike kind of just knows a little bit about everything. Uh, extreme OHL insider as well, by the oh, way. Oh yes, of course. Which is uh, which is awesome. So I like I like the spread of, uh, of 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 knowledge here, and it should be a good show. A lot of emotion, perhaps. Yeah. With all this crazy stuff we've had this week, so right, and and, yeah. and of course, yeah, we'll get into that news this week. <clears throat> but oh, yeah. I, I think we start with the very reason <clears throat> you guys are here this weekend visiting right? me in Kingston, and 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 that's uh, that's the you know grand Shane Wright versus Quentin Byfield game last night. It was the yes. Sudbury Wolves against the Kingston Frontenacs on a Friday night at the Leon Center. Um, you know, you know, Joe, Joe was not there, but, but Kyle and, and Mike were there on hand and, uh, I, just, Sorry, Joe. I, I w- <laughs> and, uh, you know, just want to, I guess we'll toss it around here. What were your thoughts of the, these stars? I mean, one, of course, only 15 years of age, but the other primed to be drafted in this coming draft. What, what was your impression? What, what the hell happened last night? 
Yeah, I'll kick it off. Uh, first of all, I know you got the tickets there. What a great seating arrangement. So I found myself right beside the Sudbury Wolves player bench. You could smell the damn guys. It was incredible, uh, that viewing. So I, I saw Byfield right up close, handsome as shit. Um, and yeah, it, it was awesome. First impressions were really great. Uh, the game started off maybe a little bit sloppy, but uh, man, when, when Byfield was out there and he had the puck, you certainly knew it. Like, his stature is very demanding. Uh, and you know what? I thought he played a little bit of a perimeter game for, for, for my liking. He had some good rushes, but some of the dangles ended up uh, kind of running off the stick a little bit. But uh, you can tell he's got an elite skill set, and that pass at the end of the game was all world. I didn't see it very well live, but uh, going back on it, it was wicked what, uh, what he did with that play. So it turned into a good game, one goal game. But, uh, yeah, I was impressed. Yeah, so what Kyle was talking about there was just a little uh, a little point pass from Quinn Byfield to Tappan in front. That, um, it made the game, uh, I believe it was 4-3 at the time, before Kingston put it away with an empty netter. Uh, it was nice to see a bit of an all-around team effort from Kingston going into the game. I mean, we're talking about a team that has four wins on this young season, and uh, they, they haven't been playing very well, but I think they recognize that this was their opportunity to maybe show up one of the better young studs in the league. And um, we saw a great game from Shane Wright. Uh, he scored he scored two goals, a lot of power play time. Uh, and they, they were really good at rendering uh, Quentin Byfield fairly ineffective for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think from Shane, it was more his two ga- two-way game on display. Uh, Kyle, you know, admitted he was very excited to see him play, you know, yep. after hearing my scouting report, after hearing the Craig Button-Barkov comparison. Yep. Um, and, and honestly, you know, I, I think Kyle is in more in line with what I was saying. Like, don't expect a lot from his skating. It's not his number one asset, despite being, you know, getting this, granted this exceptional status. It doesn't mean you're going to be McDavid skating all of a sudden. Like, that's just not the default, right? That's the exception. So in this case, uh, you know, his two-way game was on display, right place at the right time, high hockey IQ. It was two kind of garbage goals, you know, right, right, on, right on the line. He just had to kind of bank them in, but he was in the right place at the right time. I think that's what matters. And honestly, he, sh- he showed up Quentin for most of the game. Byfield really only turned it on in the last eight minutes of that game. Uh, that's when he started to take over. And you, you see he has this presence on the ice that not a lot of guys do. And that's why he may be the first overall pick, or he's at least in that discussion. So, I mean, not a lot of players possess that ability. And uh, that was just a pleasure to watch last night, even though it was only for like eight minutes, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm still gonna give the edge to Laffer in the, uh, in the in the draft race here. I just want to point out one more thing before moving on from Shane Wright here, uh, at least personally, is that the guy's third in rookie scoring in the OHL, despite being the only 2004 born player playing in the league right now. That's amazing. Uh, and we're talking about a guy who still has to work on his skating for sure, but he's going to the right areas on the ice and he's playing hard. And um, on a on a team where they're not doing they're not doing so hot all around, he's like almost at a point per game, 16 points in the 18 games that he's played. So definitely a young stud, and uh, I look forward to seeing how he develops over the next couple of years. Mike makes a great point there. Is, um, the kid is so young, and we have to remember that when we're evaluating him. Sure, maybe the, the skating wasn't as dynamic, but he's got time. He's got so much time to, to build that up, and I'm sure he will. He's surrounded by probably just the best uh, support group you can have. So... Yeah, I, I liked him. He, he was uh, maybe a little bit conservative out there, but overall, yeah, 
good, good lovable guy. And, and like I said with the coach, he's he's not afraid to get him out there, right? Every situation, O draw, o offensive yeah. zone draws, defensive zone draws, first yeah. power play, taking the face-offs. I mean, he's not sheltered. If anything, Byfield was the one sheltered yesterday we for some odd benched. reason. We thought he was benched yeah. for a portion of the game. He was he was on the bench for, I swear to God, almost 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, it was just very, very awkward how they were deploying him for such a star who's tr- who has to gain traction, you know, to build a stock, you know? Like, he has to he has to move up those scoring, you know, the race in the OHL. It's, it's There's a lot of names up there, and he's at the top of it so yeah all in all I'm I'm glad I saw what I saw even though like yeah. it, it's not like they both put up Patrick's but like what, what are the odds of that right but like I'm, I'm still very happy that I got to see them live you know shall we yeah okay so I guess <laughs> the big topic of course and this is this brings in the whole leaf roundtable theme here um, big news on Wednesday. Uh, I was in class and uh, I, I literally was just w- looking at you were in class too, right? Yeah. Actually, actually, I was I was at home sick. I had a fever. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> my my phone was off and my, my roommate came home and banged on the door and, and he's like, Joe. I'm like, what? He's like, uh, you know, Babcock got fired. I'm like, no, I'm like, no way, no, he didn't. <laughs> and I I, I you know, my phone was dead. Charged my phone. First thing I woke up to the. Babcock's been fired, <laughs> and uh, it, it was interesting. You know, you, a couple of feelings wash over you. At first, you're just like, like I can't believe they actually did it. I mean, I, I was sure they were going to give him at least to the end of the road trip. That's what mm. I thought, and and I can't believe they fired him like that. And another one was just uncertainty, you know, because I, I don't know, I didn't know what they were going to do if they were going to promote Sheldon Keefe, and and they did, and I'm and I'm happy about that. And um, I, I think, well, Mike obviously has a different views than me, but um, I think in general it was. It was something that had to be done. I, I'm not here. To, I'm not going to be on the show just to dance on Babcock's grave. I won't mm. tiptoe on it. I won't dance on it. Sure. I think that you know you don't sleepwalk your way to 700 wins yeah. in the league. You're, you're a good coach when you do that. Um, Olympic gold medals. You won a Stanley Cup. Back to back 100 point seasons for you know a long time in, in the franchise history. Under him, the rookies blossomed. But um, you know, I, I feel like Babcock's a guy that was going to take this team. We're using an analogy here safely to the eighth floor of a 10 floor building mm. and i think to get to that 10th floor they needed something else and mm. um at the end of the day i just i just don't think the players played for him i think he he was looking at the team in a way that it was never going to be which is this grinding defensive team and he you know I, I think the average fan could tell you that that's not the way the leafs are built the leafs are built and in, in dubas's vision is to be fast it's a team that's going to possess the <clears> puck not give up the puck easily skate and Babcock never wanted that. And Dubas admitted himself, you know, we weren't never simpatico mm-hmm. on the issue. And he right. put, they put it nicely like that. So those are just my opening thoughts on it. And obviously there, there's so much to unpack with this situation. There's probably about uh, 10 ways we could go with this. But what, like you said, uh, they never got on the same page. And I know when Babcock came in, Lou was the general manager. And I think they had a pretty decent chemistry. They built... Um, I don't want to call it a winning culture, but they built a culture in Toronto, which I think was substantial. And when Dubas came, it almost felt like the writing's on the wall a little bit. This guy is a progressive general manager. He's building this roster in a certain way. And you could tell when, when Lou went to, to the Islanders, he took some guys. He took Komarov. He took Martin. He took his, his culture and kind of took it away from Babcock. So I kind of feel like the writing was on the wall. And... Um, and you know what? I think it was a matter of time before his message got stale with this group who really wasn't accustomed and wasn't well-suited to the things he was trying to preach, really. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, that Babcock and Lou were both essential for building the culture of this team. I mean, before both of them, the team was was the laughing stock. They were yeah. almost Edmonton Oiler territory. Not to insult people from Edmonton, but you know, they were close bottom of the league almost <laughs> all. And and they came in, they changed the culture, and it just. I, I agree with you, and I, and I actually think that my person, I think Babcock's clock started ticking as soon as they signed Sheldon Keith to that two-year deal. I thought that was Babcock's leash. I actually thought that was bad. And I thought it was going to take something catastrophic for him to get fired anytime earlier. Because remember, again, you're, you're firing a coach with 700 wins and replacing him with a guy who's never coached a game in the NHL. But, I mean, if, if you look at Sheldon Keith's record, I mean, it's pretty impressive. He's pretty much won wherever he's gone. He's been with Dubas his whole entire time from Sault Ste. Marie. Um, this is Dubas's guy. And, and, and I think now if there's any pressure on anyone, it is Kyle Dubas because now it's his team. He's got the players, he's got the coach, and now it's, you know, can you make it work? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of resentment for Kyle Dubas from a lot of people, not just on Twitter, but from everywhere, is that I think people don't like seeing this 30-something-year-old you know, kid come in and think they know better than all these other guys. You know, like when I hear people like Brian Burke or guys criticize him, like, Brian, you've won nothing. Like, yeah. you, when you were with the Leafs, the team was terrible. Your idea of a fourth line was Frazier McLaren and Colton Orr, and you thought that was good. And, and I'm just, and I, I hope, not just as a Leaf fan, but as a young person growing up, that I hope that Kyle Dubas can say, you know what, fuck you guys, this is my team, and I'm going to do it my way. And, and, I, and I hope he does that. Well, and uh, to touch on a little bit of the, the Dubas way of doing things, I mean, a lot of people have also talked about Sheldon Keefe inheriting a team with big personalities and a lot of skill and seeing how he'd uh, adapt to that in his first job. Looking back on the 2014-2015 Sue Greyhounds roster, you're looking at Dubas bringing in people like Tony D'Angelo, who's now playing regular minutes for the New York Rangers. A guy like Nick Ritchie, who people expected to do uh, great things in the NHL and who's become a solid third liner in Anaheim uh, if he's not playing above that. Justin Bailey was brought in by him too. So um, Dubas has definitely had a record of bringing in a lot of talent and sort of trusting Keefe to get them organized and get them out there. And I mean, the record of this team back in that year was 54-12-2. Like we're talking about uh, outstanding success. I do want to go back to the tiptoeing on Bab Babcock's grave. And if I could actually dig it up and give him a little bit more life here. Um, you're talking about a coach where... where there's this fallacy that he wasn't about puck possession and how he wasn't about offense. But when he came to the Leafs, one of the big things uh, that they talked about was how he was a puck possession coach. And even right now, one game after his firing, the Leafs sit uh, fourth in the league in Corsi 4 percentage. We're 54%, yeah. And so we're talking about a team that, uh, although they had their defensive mishaps, continued to play a very strong possession game. Um, and I think that a lot of Babcock's legacy was the face-offs, getting the puck and holding on to it. I don't, I'm not saying that's the way to win games with this Toronto Maple Leaf squad. I think you got to be a little bit more aggressive than that. Um, and, and there are definitely critiques of Babcock's style. You look at the 2014 Olympic team and how people said they won basically just by playing keep away. Uh, so I think, I, I definitely think that there's a fallacy around him not being a possession coach. Um, the one thing I hope to see under Sheldon Keefe is a little bit more aggression from these Leafs and attacking the net. Yeah, and I think it, uh, possession, Babcock really improved because the, the prior coach was Carlisle, and, and that guy, I mean, you could give him a dictionary, of course, and, and he would have no idea what it meant. That, that guy, 
it, they would get outshot like 40 to 20 every game, play with, uh, win a goal, and his post-game presser would be like, hey, we won the game, right? Well, you know, that's, that's not sustainable. And, and I agree. I, I, like I said, I, I don't want to, you know, yeah. just destroy Mike Babcock. I, I think he's a terrific coach, and I just don't think he he's was right for the team anymore. And, and I just think, you know, more so than that is just some questionable coaching decisions he would make. Like, you know, that guy loved playing the fourth line for whatever reason. Oh, I mean, I mean, there would be times where he they would score a goal and then, you know, uh, get a goal against, and then you see Nick Short coming over the boards. Like, like why? You, you have two of the top best centers in the league. And, and I saw a stat recently that, you know, the uh, the 17 minutes or something that ba- that Matthews played at even strength, he played with something 256 games under Mike Babcock, and this was like nine times where he's had this ice time under Mike Babcock, and game one, Sheldon Keefe does it. And that's what I'm looking for. I just want to see them play their stars more. You have two top five centers in the league, arguably, play them. Um... I don't want to see Cody Cece being trotted out there anymore, and I think uh, Keith will make that exception. And um, I actually, me and Nick joked when Spezza came over, we thought Spezza was going to be power play one, power play two, line one, two, three center, because Spezza seems like a Babcock guy. And and, 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 and you could tell even from the get-go this season, when they scratched Spezza, like that was, like, they over, that night should have been about John Tavares being the captain, Leafs home opener. And instead, it was about Mike Babcock. He found a way to make it about Mike Babcock somehow and all of that. So, you know, like, like, like I said, I mean, there's just some things about him that I, I, I simply just cannot stand. And, and, and I'm not, I, I am happy that they moved on for him. But like I said, I mean, I, I think he's a good coach. I just, I, I mean, I, I just think that this was the right move at the right time. And yeah, I think the Spezza situation, honestly, was where he lost the team. I think um, he was given... He was given a chance this season to show that he could get them out of the first round. And then when on a night where the guy is playing in front of his hometown for the first time against his old team and has a shot to be out there. And as you said, is a guy who plays the style of hockey that Babcock should love um, and he gets benched. I I think that the players really respond to that. And there was definitely uh, some animosity between the players and the coach in the locker room. Um, I'm sure we're going to touch on it at some point, but all of the stories that have come out from past players who used to play for the guy who just talk about how, how much of a douchebag and asshole he can really be. Um, and, and so I, I think that that was where he lost the team. I think he was still coaching, coaching, uh, fairly well. The special teams were rough, but if you look at some of the other metrics out there, uh, and even the eye test, they, they showed flashes that they were still a good team under that. So I'm, I'm hoping that Sheldon Keefe can uh, light a little bit of a fire and hopefully inspire these guys a bit more. Yeah, so, you know, there's two things I want to address. Just the first, the whole doobie thing taking over. <clears throat> I'm just glad now the guy's finally going to have himself a fair shake. Um, you know, I always wanted to be able to evaluate him fairly. And I, I honestly, I don't think I could do that to this point, just given... You know the fact he assembled this roster yes it's his roster and you can say what you want about it but the reality is the coach is not implementing the system he wants and if you know the 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 system is predicated on the players and you know in, in, in this case i mean he just needs to have his system in place and sheldon keith is going to integrate that unlike babcock so i mean i'm just glad now i can evaluate this guy instead of just you know giving him 50 percent you know, of, of my attention and the other 50% to Mike. Now it's going to be 100% to Doobie. If he fucks up, then he's, he's going to take fall for it. If he does great, then he's going to get all the credit. So um, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about that, that now he does get his fair shake. And then the second thing is, and, and this is kind of the more humorous point, just going back to Babcock, um, I just like the fact that if Fleury doesn't make that save, that amazing, you know, once in a decade kind of save, 
maybe Mike still coaches yeah. this game tonight, Saturday night against the Avs. I mean, that, that to me is, 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 is pretty stunning. How it's a game of inches, and literally Marc-Andre Fleury may have ended, single-handedly ended the Babcock <clears throat> tenure here. Because I know and, the writing was on the wall. The writing was yeah. on the wall, he's going to go at some point. But the fact, like, it happened because of that save, <laughs> they couldn't tie up the game, they couldn't win the game. Yeah, I think that's fucking hilarious. and like a once in a career save. Like Fleury's got some yeah. great saves in his career, but this is almost the top one. Yes. It's like when does this happen? So, like we were saying, the fate. The it's an ugly word. It's kind of a, a touchy word, but this is like you know this was the time. It's it, the hockey gods have spoken, as Don Cherry would say. Yeah. <laughs> Rest his soul, right? But uh, no, you touched on it. Joe touched on it as well, and the TSN guys brought up a great point you talked about how Sheldon Keefe is a Dubas product through and through now the the spotlight is so scorchingly high on Dubas now they haven't had success that they'd like in the past three four years and like you said 50 50 but now it's Dubas's team Dubas's system everything is Kyle Dubas so right now I think he's on a a ticking time bomb right now if he doesn't shape things up right away or not right away they'll give him they'll give him at least the season, but you know, the way this team is built, uh, it hasn't worked in the playoffs so far, but the, all eyes are on him right now. So he must be feeling a little bit of uh, a little bit of pressure. And the other Babcock thing is, okay, he gets fired. He has, you know, the, the wherewithal and the courtesy to send out a press release. And, and in this press release, only three name drops, only three name drops. He, he, th- he thanks Lou Lamorello, of course, the guy who's been gone for the last like two years. Uh, uh, Larry Tannenbaum, who just led the Raptors to a championship. So thanks, he's Larry. not even around the team all the time. And, uh, and M- Morgan Riley. He, he thanks one player, and it's Morgan Riley. So I just think like that whole dynamic, the fact he just tosses those three names, shows those are the th- only three allies he had in this you know sinking ship of a team that he was coaching and uh, i just think it's it's fucking hilarious yeah um the fact as well that like in his last post-game press conference uh before before he was fired the two names he brought up in a game where like his job was on the line were zach hyman and Ilya mckayev where he's just tossing a little bit more fuel on the fire you know um yeah no it, it was the morgan riley name call out is just another grenade tossed into that locker room on his way out <laughs> Do you guys think that Matt, like, even on the, like, the bench, like, I've never seen Matthews that fired up in my life. Like, he's pretty stoic individual. Yeah. He's, he's pretty calm. And I've never seen him that fired up that fired up in my life. Like, he's, it's like he has a new sort of, you know, like Tyson Berry said, a new lease. Yeah. Really. And, and like, I just can't, like, I don't think we really know how much the players hated him. Like, it, it just seems like they just generally did not like him as, as a person. And, and, well, yeah, 90%. Yeah. Uh, of the team was relieved to see him go, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's and that's telling, you know, for for a coach to be that hated. I mean, like like we were talking about before the show, no one likes your boss, but at the end of the day, I mean, yes, you can be you can be a you know in command, but you don't have to be a douchebag every <clears throat> single day. And, and I just think that Mike Babcock, the essence of Mike Babcock is I'm right, you know, my way is the highway. And I, I don't know if you guys remember after they won the gold medal. It was 2014 when they won the gold medal? 10 and 14. 14, yeah. Yeah. And people were complaining about his style of play. He went to the podium and said, like, you guys going to complain now? Okay. Oh, yeah. And and I think he tried to make the Leafs like that. You know, a a team where they were going to play defense, they were going to bore you to death, but they were going to win. But I don't think he realized and should have that. This isn't 2014, you know, Canada roster. You've got 
Cody Cece on your top there, not Drew Doughty. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, the way you were trying to play wasn't working, and you, you should have addressed that a long time ago. And and the one thing I loved that Keith did is when he the first time they they was it Wednesday when they did his press conference or Thursday when they introduced him to the team finally when he had his press conference. He said that I'm not worried about. He's like I'm worried about what this team <clears throat> is right now, and I just think Babcock never saw that. I just think he never he never realized you know what he had what 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 players they had or he did and he just refused to do it and, and I don't know how many of your listeners are football fans but the best analogy I can draw is the the, the Baltimore Ravens in, in the NFL uh, Lamar Jackson you know he's a he's a running quarterback first and the traditional way of playing quarterback is usually stand in the pocket and throw the ball and instead of basically designing an offense around the traditional way the Ravens said no we're going to do it our way and they're one of the best teams in the league and I think that's what the least have to do now is, is basically this is Dubis' system. Keeps going to be the guy to implement that. And I think he's going to bring the most out of these players. I, I truly believe that. I, uh, I mean, I want to, I want to ask you guys this. I, I need, I need help here because we have established most of the players hated him. That's a fact. We, we know that we've got the evidence for that. Okay. We've established Mike Babcock is a highly decorated. He's a great coach. He, he's won. He's had a long career in Detroit where he made the playoffs almost every year. So, and not, not, not to forget, he even mentioned himself in this, with this Toronto team, we're a couple seasons removed from, what was it, the best season they've ever had in a regular season? So he had success in his career. He had success in Toronto. Where did things go wrong? What, when did the players turn on this guy? And why would why, why'd that happen? Because there was a time when these players in Mike Babcock's world were successful. Sure, they didn't win in the playoffs that year, but Game 7, I know they were damn close, uh, in a 104-point season. So when and why is it maybe the player personalities, maybe they've got some egos that didn't jive with this consistent message? Like, what uh, what went wrong here? So I think you can start the timeline with the Muslim trade. I think you can talk about <clears throat> Dubas going out and getting a Stanley Cup defenseman, a guy who was uh, highly touted coming out of L.A., and he gets there, and the first thing Babcock does is complain that he's not a right-handed shot. I think you, you go forward a little bit more, you get to the plan, <coughs> you talk about game six and seven, where you're up 3-2 in your home building, you got a chance to, to put the game away, and you throw Zach Hyman out there against Patrice Bergeron in the defensive zone. Uh, you're, you're talking about a game seven where you should have played Matthews a little bit more, and where after the game, when, when uh, somebody's looking for a place to lay the blame, Dubas takes the heat. Dubas gets up and says, we got to be better. We're going to make some moves. We're going to come back with a better team. And Babcock's sitting there thinking, like, oh, I did the right things. He doesn't take the heat for it. I think over this offseason, you saw Dubas make, make the moves he promised. He brought in Tyson Berry, Alex Kerfoot. You watched Kadri go out the door, which was a blow to Leafs fans, but he was a hothead in the and playoffs. Yeah, and, and yeah. Babcock as well. Yeah. Um, and and he brought in uh, he brought in a couple other new faces like Cody Cece, uh, Mikheyev, Mikheyev, and and Jason Spezza. And then uh, I think he he brought in some talent. He put together a roster where these fans were looking at this year, thinking we're gonna go in and be the Tampa Bay Lightning of this year, like the team where we're looking at setting a record and wins. And th- those are high expectations. You know, it might have been a bit of. Uh, a bit of the skill going to the head of Leafs fans there. Um, but you got the high expectations. Uh, you have a lot of skilled players, a lot of players who these young guys really respect. I mean, Spets is a highly decorated player in the league. And then Babcock does Babcock things throughout the season where he's trying to establish that he's the man in the locker room. 
And I think with the with the Spezza scratching early in the year, uh, with injuries to this team where we never really saw them in full force, um, that eventually the team just felt that uh, this guy this guy had lost control of the locker room. They they didn't like playing for him, and they weren't seeing results anymore. And I think that's when they really quit. Yeah, I think they they started falling off a wagon with him back. In, I mean, after the All Star break last year, the team was basically playing five hundred hockey. They mm-hmm. sleepwalked their way into the playoffs. They didn't play. I mean, they took Boston to seven games, and I think, I think that might have been the turning point where you know, if you looked at some of the ice time in Game Seven, where Zach Hyman with a torn ACL, mind you, somehow played more minutes than Austin yeah. Matthews. Um, yeah. There was even the year before with the off-season meetings with Freddie and and Austin, and there, there was just something like not quite right with Babcock and his stars, and I think also as well, and and, and you pointed it out. He just didn't agree with any of the moves Dubis made. Like he didn't like Muzzin because he didn't shoot the proper way. Um, he was a huge fan of Ron Hainsey. I mean, he played him almost to death in the penalty kill too. And I think Babcock didn't like that. He let him go. Um, mm. Babcock is 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 it was a huge fan of uh, of playing of playing guys like Zach Hyman. And, and and you know, I figured when they brought in Jason Spezza, it would be you know this is another guy like Zach Hyman who's going to kill penalties. And, and he didn't even agree with that either. Um, I, I know for I mean I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't like a defenseman like Tyson Berry because it almost is he's basically the right hand shot of Jake Gardner almost, and Fair. that's not a Babcock guy either. And I just think Dubis never got the players that Babcock wanted, and Babcock was unhappy about that. And he's trying to fit these players into a system that's not what those players are supposed to do or how to play. And, and, and I just think that. He even said when he got fired, though, you know, every GM deserves to hire its own coach, and, and Babcock is not the coach that Dubis wants, or is not the coach that they're going to share the same philosophy. They just aren't, right? And I think that it was never going to work. At some point, it was going to be the breaking point. I thought it was going to be much later, but but it happened now, and you know that, that's why, like you said, Nick, I'm very excited to see, you know, a coach and a GM that are now on the same page and system. That's going to be, you know, uh, pretty much uh, what what Dubis has envisioned, and I'm excited to see that. Well, one thing I'm going to add another little element in here i i think this was the plan i think when they hired babs they knew deep down we're going to give this guy you know his five six year stint you know i know it's been only four but you know we're going to give him his stint and eventually sheldon keith's going to come in we right now the leafs four years ago think of where they were they had no like they had no strong reputation among the league like lack character it was a piss poor organization organizationally not even the team on the ice just organizational standards needed a bump up and mike gives you that instantaneous credibility he brings that right away that's what they hired him for they didn't hire him to win a cup eight years later i think that sheldon keith school i think dubis knew that all along they just needed that instant credibility and sheldon keith wouldn't have given you that four years ago i don't know where the fuck sheldon keith was four years ago but the reality is mike mike was going to give you that and they made the hire and now four years in he's kind of started the ball rolling we'll see what mike babcock did was bring this team instantaneous credibility he came in when this team was a joke had had had, you know from the carlisle days and basically came in there and and ushered them into this into this you know this new phase the shannon plan oh firmly in place Mm. And, and, and babcock just came in there brought credibility you know, would hold people accountable. That's something, you know, other coaches won't do, you know, as Mike's been known to do. So the fact he came in there, did that for them, and now Keefe is the guy who's back in. He's taken the reins. 
and he's going to lead this vision of Kyle Dubas's. I think this whole this was the plan right from the get go. Mm. It might sound like a far off take because you you can never say, oh yeah, you know, Dubas had some crystal ball and this was everything that he envisioned. But I honestly think this is probably deep down in line what he said. And and one more thing, did you guys hear that MIT chat that Dubas was 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 having? Uh, a couple years ago, right? Like, yeah, three years, years ago. Coaching so he, coaching you heard about this? Yeah. I, s- I heard about it, I didn't watch it. I watched the clip. Yeah. It was him like lecturing to students at MIT, and he literally verbatim said, you can't have you know indecision. You can't have the coach and the manager you know having different identities with respect yeah. to how the team plays. He literally said that verbatim. He said, it will not work. It will not work, and yet that was the situation the last three years. So pretty amazing. Yeah, and to your point, I think that the Leafs needed a Mike Babcock at that time. They, they needed to put some sort of positive face on it. And they said all the right things at that press conference. This, this might have been one of the greatest marketing jobs in, 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 in NHL history. Oh. They sold the fan base. Like, we're going to be garbage for two and a half years, and then we're going to win. Or at least try to win. There will be and pain. There will be mm. pain. And, and he said it right. And he... I didn't think the pain was going to come now. <laughs> yeah. There will be pain. He was and when he came in, you just felt as a Leaf fan. Do you remember the excitement? Oh, yeah. They got him. They had the Babs watch going on Twitter. They were facing and Tracking the planes. Tracking the planes. And, and when they finally got him, we as Leafs fans were like, yes, finally, respectability. And and uh, him, Lou, and Chandy said all the right things. They changed the culture. Um, you felt when you thought of the Leafs after that season that this was no longer going to be a joke of an organization. And now that you have a 700-win coach with a couple of Stanley Cups in your resume, the Leafs are going to be a team to be feared. But I agree with you. I, I think that it would have been very difficult for him to stay the full eight years. I mean, he would have had to win at least a cup or two before to stay the full eight years. And, and part of me is kind of sad because I do think he possessed the hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. Of course he did to win with this team. And it would have been great to see him, you know, leave his legacy here with another Stanley mm-hmm. Cup and it would have been great to, for him to win one here but it, it just ended up didn't unfold and, and I actually think I don't know if you agree with me I think that during this losing streak at least game two or three I, I guarantee you there was some communication between Keith and Dubas saying look over our roster and see what you think yeah no I, I think he was having Sheldon Keith watch all the games all season I, I, it, as the insurance policy, because the, the clock was ticking when they lost the Boston series. It almost happened after the Boston series. So I think as of then, Keith was studying every game, study, like he was on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For like 10 days. For like, yeah. yeah. And that was shocking for a GM not to endorse his coach after that, because yeah. usually immediately it's like, yes, for sure. And he didn't do that. Yeah. And I, I think that also might have been a massive tear in the yeah. relationship between the two. Where imagine, you know, your boss is like, yeah, we don't really know yeah. bringing you back next year. Like, we have no idea, right? And well, here's here's another thing, and it goes to what you said about the promises he made, the pain, and then the, 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 the climb up the hill, so to speak, and how they'd, they'd finally, like, reach Mount Everest, you know? And he kind of made those promises in that press conference, like, five years ago. But that probably, that brings in, like, the sad aspect. There is a bit of sadness here. Like, there was hope. And it's gone. Like, I envisioned him hoisting the cup for the Leafs. Like, I, he would be the coach of the Leafs winning the cup. Breaking the drought. You just, you just thought that... Yeah. yeah you, you just thought that he could do no wrong because he's Mike... Yeah. I mean, his team makes the playoffs every single year. If you look at all the Babcock teams, Detroit, they're always in the playoffs and they're always tough to beat. He, he literally was passing a basketball around at the start of the season saying, this is our moment, boys. Our moment. 
and yet now this guy's going to be eating potato chips on his couch when they win the cup. <laughs> like, it's fucking sad. Well, yeah, and I, and I feel that uh, I feel that now, like, the, the excitement for Sheldon Keith coming, and not only that, but Mike Babcock being fired sort of mirrors, like, when he signed here. Like, I feel that a lot of Leaf fans were happy for him to be gone, if not the majority of them. I mean, there's still those few holdouts on Twitter, and open if you guys follow Damian Cox. Sure. I mean, he's, he's an idiot, but, I mean... I. He, he starts talking about things like that. He's still a little bad. Yeah. There's some people like that. And I mean, well, that's another thing we should, we should talk about. You know, is it, was it only Babcock or do you think the roster, you know, being built by Dubas, do you think that how much is, does Dubas, you know, have blame here for at the start of the season? Is it the roster or is it solely sore on the, on the coach? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Uh, something that should definitely be addressed. I mean, for me, I, I'd probably be one of the, the harder Dubis, you know, naysayers. Like, I, I think a lot of what he's done has been flawed. I, I, I did not, and I may take, take a lot of heat for this, but I, I didn't necessarily love the John Tavares signing. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's cap space. That should be better. Tavares signing. <laughs> so I, I actually, sorry. I, I... I'm just saying before, before, before I keep going here, that's 11, that's a, listen, that's $11 million that could be spent on another respectable defenseman, uh, uh, another centerman, another, like you could have your set, you can have your top two centermen, listen to me, can be Kadri and Matthews. Those are your top two centermen. Kadri's a number two center. No. Can someone get it? I mean, look, I, I respect your, uh, your opinion. Not on a championship. That's 11 million you could be spending on something more. Top five center who played, you know, in your back in your backyard and was like the Leaf fan growing up and, and he wants to come to your team, you pay the man. Yep. I think that we're doing They have enough offense. They're scoring enough goals. They got to keep the puck out of their goddamn net. Criticism is for the Marner and Matthews negotiation. I think if you want to criticize him. Oh, yeah. But don't criticize him for bringing in the top five center who's, you know, a hometown guy. And I'm going to pass it off here because it feels like this is really starting to. All right. You you do not pay William Nylander $7 million if you don't pay John Tavares $11 million in the summer. You do not have to pay Austin Matthews eleven point uh what was it? Three four or something if if you don't pay John Tavares eleven million in the summer. You're talking about a team where they already had guys who could drive lines. You've got Matthews, you've got Marner. You you don't have to go out and get another guy who drives the line. Like, sorry, I want, I want, I want. He's a thirty-goal scorer. That is what a second-line center yeah, does. Why ship him out for a defenseman who's going to leave us in a few months now, and 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 bring in Tavares when we already had Kadri? And I remember the talk when we drafted Matthews, Marner, and Nylander was that in Leafs land you had Riley on a great deal, you had Freddie on a great deal, and you had Kadri on a great deal, which meant that you had. Three core pieces already locked up. Kaji was part of the plan from the beginning. Yes, he could be a little hot-headed, and that's what got him kicked out eventually. But at the end of the day, you didn't need to go out and get Tavares. The going out and getting Tavares set the stage for a lot of the contract moves, um, and it also made it so that we continue to talk about the Leafs' defensive woes. You look at some of the other teams where they've made coaching changes and then gone on to win. You're talking about. The Pittsburgh Penguins, where they had two generational players in Malkin and Crosby, and the St. Louis Blues, where their defensive core was solid all the way through, and on paper, they were eight times better than they were performing. Um, even with LA back in 2012, like they had a solid, tough crew in place before they made the coaching change. Whereas here, 
you put a lot of money in your in like up front. You paid John Tavares eleven million to come and taken that money away from possible pieces on the back end and driven the price tag up for all of your forwards across the board. Here's why here's why I don't agree is that the Tavares situation is very much isolated from these RFA rookie contracts. A everyone has to realize that to get a, a big UFA signing like this, you have to overpay a little bit. Yeah, 100%. He's he's a UFA, and he's proven so much. He scored 47 goals last year. Oh, because of Martin. If you look at some of the players that John Tavares has played with, even on the island, he consistently makes everyone around him better. He's by no... Surrounded by amazing wingers. What are the Islanders doing right now? Just fine if you ask. The Islanders are doing uh, doing just fine, but I I, I don't think that's any slight on John Tavares as a player. Just because the Islanders are doing well doesn't mean that... John Tavares isn't still one of the top five centers in the league. I, I, I'm just looking at some of his stats here. This guy is is the most one of the most consistent centermen in the league. Uh, he is he is a force to be reckoned with behind the back of the net and in front. And I think that people who say that Mitch Marner drove that line is ludicrous. I think John Tavares made Mitch Marner a better player. I think John Tavares is one of those guys that makes Mitch Marner better. And I think that what Dubas had in mind was sort of a Malkin Crosby thing. You know, where you have two... To, what, yeah, exactly. Why not? And this guy is a, is a top five center. He, he he grew up in Toronto. It's been his dream to play and win cups with the Leafs. Why not overpay inside him? Working right now. Hey, hey, hey. Come on. Fucking, come on, man. The roster construction is flawed. The way the salary... You, you sound like my dad. You sound like my dad talking. This doesn't look good. This is not a good look. If we're digging a little deeper, there's a reason why things are flawed. I think it's mostly a character issue. God forbid the guy brings in a guy that is a full-on great character guy. We know this. Good leader, hardworking guy. You need this. He's this, the captain of the team now. This team, this team needs leadership. They need a star who's been there, done that. Maybe not on the in the playoffs, but he's seen the league. He knows how to be a superstar. Why wouldn't he want Austin Matthews asking, "Hey, John, uh, you know, how can I deal with this? You know, you're a star. Tell me." Look, this is a mentor. This is more than just a star player. I don't think anybody sitting around this table is going to try to tell you that John Tavares isn't a thoroughbred stud. We're talking about a guy who got exceptional player status, was captain on the island for years through some horrible teams, uh, and has now come to the Leafs, and has now come to the Leafs and has done some excellent things as a Leaf in his year and a half. I think just like the argument that I want to make is why not bring in that type of leadership on the back end? You know, you got like. Uh, Petrangelo available last year defensively before the Blues turned it around, and and obviously it's harder to acquire like a top two defenseman, but that guy was available. Uh, you see a lot more defensemen going to unrestricted free agency, or at least pushing it a little bit further these days. Um, I just think that if you're gonna put your money into four forwards, that um that you can't complain when the defense is this bad and that a lot of the Leafs' struggles probably could have been solved if they put that $11 million elsewhere. It, start, it started... The, the Tavares salary thing, you brought up a good, great point. Like, the fact he got paid that much made Mitch and Matthews feel like they were worth top shit. And that, Hang on. I, I, that's, I, I think that... I, now they're tied up with the cap, and the only thing they, the only way they can get out of this cap thing that's happened is if they trade players, like trade Nylander. Well, I don't think that uh, uh, Marner saw Tavares as his comparable. I think he saw Matthews as his comparable, and I don't, I don't know if Matthews even saw John Tavares as comparable. I think Matthews just thought, look, like this is what McDavid is getting. And, you know, maybe I'm not Connor McDavid, but I still deserve, you know, at least 11. And I don't think he's comparing himself to John Tavares at all. 
I, and, and yeah, you can and you can argue that, but I just think that where the criticism lies is in the, go, the negotiations with Marner and Matthews, as opposed to signing, you know, one of the most anticipated free agents in NHL history. And and you know, just rumble off some more stats for John Tavares. You're talking about Mitch Marner. Uh, if you look at some of the differences, I have all his line mates here: Molson, Vanek, Bailey, Okpozo, Lee, and Parento. Every single player performed better with Tavares than without him. And I think that John Tavares is one of the few special players in the league where you can say that I can I am confident pairing almost any winger with him because I know he's going to make him better. And I and I think that the, the that overpaying him if you can call it an overpayment, which I don't think it is to be honest, I think this is what he's worth. I think Tavares is an eleven million dollar player. Did the Leafs need that? I think they did, and like you, I mean, you need lead the leadership. They had goals. They had goals. It, forget about the goals. I mean, problem scoring goals. The problem has been keeping the puck out of the net. It keeps. But you don't think that Tavares is a more respect, a defensively responsible center than Matthews? Or, I, I think that I think you don't think that Tavares is a better defensively responsible center than Kadri with more skill. I'm not. Too, I'm not. I don't. I'm not. The I don't Kadri have two way game gets overblown. It does. I agree. Second line center. Colorado thinks they will win because he's their second line center. And you are you are a Colorado fan, Kyle. You must like what they're doing. They have yeah. the better idea. They're building the back end. They're building the forward core. They have the goalie. Everything's balanced. Where's the leaf? It's it, the leaf, It's too much up front. It's not enough on the back end. And the goalie has to bail them out every single time. The I don't know if the... the Anderson is playing well. Well, not right now, but he's he has bailed them out in the past. I agree, and and yeah, that's usually why I think that the Leafs are an Anderson injury away from being in the draft lottery. I, and I, I think that's not a thing. And I and I do I agree with you that a lot of money is locked up in these forwards. But I mean, I think that still that Dubis was hoping that someone like Morgan Riley would continue to progress. And let's face it, I think this year he's had a regression. I think that guys like Travis Dermott under Mike Babcock didn't I mean he's a great player but I think now that he's going to get more ice time I think Babcock playing guys like Oshnaganov over Justin Hall last year really impacted their defense as well and I think they're banking on guys like Sandin and Lilligren in the minors to pick up that slack and, and and I think that they're confident in their drafting and developing defensemen where they can say you know what I'm going to go out there and sign this free agent because I'm confident that you know we're going to figure out the back end as it goes and 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 I truly believe Dubas thinks that Okay, but one of the biggest tools that GM can have in their toolbox is cap space. Like, you look at Montreal these past couple of years and why uh, people have thought that they, they're able to make such good moves at the deadline, and it's because they've consistently had some cap space to move around with. Um, Dubas has handcuffed himself here to the players he has currently, and moving forward, he's going to get have to get very creative with the decor. Um John Tavares is a generational player. You're talking about a guy who's a franchise cornerstone wherever he goes. But letting him walk and getting two pieces in return in a league where parity rules might be more effective than paying the guy $11 million a year. Well, here's the thing. All this talent on the front end, the whole argument I'm saying, the too much on the front, not enough on the back, it can all be mitigated. It can all be saved if this system works. <clears throat> this system that this Keith is going to bring in is predicated on pushing the pace, keeping the play in the O zone, so you're not in your D zone. Fucking that's wheel. The only way I see this 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 identity that they've done, this the signings Dubas has made, paying off, is if if is is if the plan comes to fruition, and then I'll eat my words. Then I'll eat my words. But until that happens, until I see this system in play, which we talked about earlier, and it coming, until tomorrow, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep being pessimistic until I see the system in play. Yeah, so I think, I think that's a great point. I think that this debate from both sides, I think we're always thinking of it in the context of like conventional 
ways that you win cups, which is with, I guess, stingy defense. But maybe this is an anomaly. Maybe this is the first time that a team like this comes out and says, you know what, we're going to put all our money in offense. We recognize this is a, game, a league where more goals are being scored than ever before. And uh, we're just going to load up on offense and, you know, we'll build the defense as we go. And I think that, not to say it's a problem, but I think you're thinking of it in like, you know, this is not St. Louis, this is not Boston, this is not this is not Chicago, this is a different team. And maybe, just maybe, this is an anomaly, maybe this is a new way of building a team and we're just not giving Dubas any credit for it. And I think that's one way to look at it too, right? Guys, the, the Pittsburgh model. This is the Pittsburgh model, is it not? You've got your two-star... Hold on, you got your two-star centerman. Pittsburgh won a cup without Latang and a bunch of schmucks on defense. Now, Toronto, they've got two 60-point defensemen, and they've got Jake Muzzin. So, I don't know how you can... I don't know how you can tell me the, the defense... Uh, no, then, then it's tactically driven. They were not invested in analytics. Okay, right? but it doesn't matter. The, Dubis is obviously looking at this structure. You've got a star goalie. You've got, you know, defense that are more focused on pushing the pace. And then you've got your center depth. Like, I get that. If, you, if, if it, you bring it, you just simplistically bring it down to those facts, just the players comparing them, I get it. The, Ma the Malik and the Crosby, the Taveras, the Matthews, the, the, the Flurry and Murray versus yep. the Anderson. Tang and Riley, like it, mm -hmm. it all makes sense. I get it. Okay. I just, I think it's a little more different. Like it's a little more analytically driven. And I think the debut game against Arizona really showed that. You saw the D pinching in, getting to the dots, and like becoming this third forward. And the forward, and the and the th and the third forward would come back and support the D. And they kept doing this little cycle thing, and it was working <clears throat> miraculously against Arizona. It was it was a great game, and that's why I'm super jacked about like just seeing what happens now. The game tonight against Colorado will it work against a team that I think is a lot sharper. Than the one Coyotes. Of the, one of the better teams yeah. in the league, right? Yeah, like, now. I, I want to just see, like, and it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of, of practices. Course. A lot of their, like, 13 of their next 18 are on the road, I heard. So, like, that's going to be tough practicing on the road. So, like, you know, that's why I'm giving him this whole, I'm giving him the fair shake. I don't want to get too down on them. It may sound like I'm down, but, but you know, I, I don't want to be. And, 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 and we're just going to see what happens. One last thing about the, the cap thing about how he's handcuffed himself. Any team that wants to claim they're a cup contender, which this team does and it has, uh, you're going to be up against the cap. And all the good teams are up against the cap. So Dubas has used his resources as he saw fit. And yeah, you're going to be up against the cap. Flexibility is short and it's going to be that way for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about teams like Montreal not being up against the cap, but Montreal hasn't had a first-line center in years. I yeah. Mean, I, don't, I don't consider Philip Deneau a number-one center. I don't no. consider Jesperi uh, Kakanyemi a number-one center. I definitely don't consider Jonathan Drouin a number-one center. And I think that Montreal also has a, a lot of terrible contracts, too. I'm not to turn in the halves, but Shea Weber signed for God knows when. Uh, you're paying a goaltender $10.5 million that's never going to score you a goal. So, yeah, I mean, they're not up against the cap, but, I mean, would you rather have the Habs roster or the Leafs roster at this point? Or good question. I mean, uh, the Habs are three points ahead of the Leafs with two games in hand here, so... All right now, yeah, but they're also... I, I just don't think that's going to... You got Kale Flurry coming up, Nick Suzuki, Ryan Palin, uh, Cole Caulfield. I, I mean... I'm I'm not uh so I, again I'm I'm coming from a Toronto fans perspective here. If I'm looking at Montreal versus Toronto and where I'd rather be as a GM, I'm uh, there's a clear choice and it's not Toronto. I, I disagree. I think if you're if you're a general manager right now, you have Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner all in their prime, and you could talk about the prospect pool, but all the prospects are playing for the big club, and that's called player development, right? So I think that's a testament to Toronto.
you called Montreal's team ass the first game of the season. Like we were talking about who's going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're good. You you straight you straight up said they're not a playoff team. I don't think they're a playoff team. I think they I still think they won't make the playoffs, and that might just me being biased. But no, I mean in all fairness, I think they do have some blossoming young stars. I still think though, I'd rather have Toronto's roster, and I would love to play them not in a back to back and with Anderson and that. And you know, unfortunately, the game we're going to, they're on a back to back again. I know. So that'll be that'll be interesting. But we don't know who the goalie will be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's another interesting question too. Do you think that he'll continue with that playing? Anderson. Uh, no. You think be I think he's going to do a bit more strategic with okay. with that. Yeah. yeah. Now going back to the what, if you're a GM, what would you rather have? Now it's it's it's. I think it depends on the GM. Toronto's more of a finished product. You know what you're getting. This is your core is set. Montreal's still developing. They're not quite there yet. But uh, one thing you like you said with the roster, it's hard to say this Montreal roster on paper is a, like a for sure playoff team. But what they do have is a tenacity and a character and a grit that allows them to score by committee and just yeah. run teams ragged. I, mean, I, I watched them play the Leafs this year at the Bell Center. And, and uh, <clears throat> one of the things I noticed was how how much gumption they played with. They played with a lot of passion. And, yeah. and just, yeah, keep uh, They played with a lot of passion and the Leafs just didn't at all. And uh, that's one thing I will say. Claude Julien has them playing very, very well. Like, very yeah. well. And uh, as much as it pains me to say it, I, I, they, I think they are a good team. I still don't think, though, that even if they do make the playoffs, they, they, I mean, I think Florida would beat them. Yeah, I mean, on I don't paper, think, I on think, paper, I, I think that, on paper, I think you, uh, you may have a point there. The one thing, we mentioned the price contract. That contract, ten point, you're spending 10.5 because you know that you have a chance in any playoff series for your goalie to steal a series. He has the ability still, even at this ripe age of 32 or whatever he is, that he he has that ability. You're spending 10.5. We have a good chance of beating any team in the league. I think the defense for Montreal is a little soft. I mean, I mean Weber's, I still think Weber's fantastic. He's, he's having a great year. But I, I, don't, I don't think guys like Chirac, Kulak, or Riley. No, like... I think they're plugs. I think yeah, they're right. I mean, I would, would you rather have Tyson Berry or Ben Wash Chirac? With regards to like Sherratt versus Barry, though, you also have to talk about who they're paired with. I mean, Jake Muzzin was sort of, he was advertised as a bit of a stay-at-home guy, but he's been jumping up in the play quite a bit, he's too. A yeah, he, he's definitely scored a couple big goals. Um, but I think that all of the Leafs defensemen currently have a bit more of an offensive tilt to them. You can cover up some of the weaknesses in a guy like Sherratt if you pair him with a Weber or a Petrie, you know? Sure. Um, so, so I think... If you're talking about team building and you're talking about defense, I think Montreal's done a fairly good job of trying to find uh, good pairings, pairing guys to cover each other's weakness. Shea Weber continues to be a shot suppression machine, um, and that guy's gonna continue to be a monster. I don't think uh, I don't think Nashville's gonna end up having to pay his uh, retirement cap hit. I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, and so yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, if I'm looking at Montreal, and if I'm looking to take over a team, like they have their flaws, but you also have some room to grow. You've got some prospects in the system. Whereas with the Leafs, you've committed $40 million to four players. That's half the cap. If the cap doesn't go up like it's projected to, you're looking at a seriously tough job just to fit in like minor minor leaguers into your uh, pro team. But again, with the prospect thing, I feel that like it's a testament to the Leafs that a lot of these guys are playing on the big club. Nylander was a prospect for the Leafs. Dermot, um, guys like uh, Hyman, uh, Engvall, 
all these guys were playing, Timoshov, these guys are playing in the minors at one point and they made the big club. So yeah, the, the minor league team might be a little sparse right now. I don't even, and they still have guys like Lilligren and Sandin down there. Bracco is still, I think, a pretty good player. Adam Brooks, um, I'm assuming at some point will be called up to the big club. Maybe not this year. They might be playing. That guy, what's his name? I can't pronounce that guy's name. Se- Semion. Oh, Dur Argonish. Apparently, he looks pr- like a fantastic dad. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I, and not a lot. You're right, and I, I think they have a lot, a lot of uh, banking here with Lilligren and Sandin. And this year too, they're, I mean, assuming they don't finish in the top ten, they won't have a first round pick either, right? So, like we were saying, I guess it depends on what type of GM you are. If you want to finish product, you, you you would choose the Leafs. And I think on paper right now, I still think the Leafs have a better roster. I mean. There's still no one, I think, on Montreal's roster right now active is even a better player than Matthews or Tavares. I mean, there's not one of them. That's true. Are. 100%. Yeah. Uh, you, you go first. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what did you guys think of, like, just the body language around the team, like, on the Arizona game? Like, were you just happy with the positivism and not, like, everyone just being fucking a sad schmuck? They, they, they were awake. They were finally like, I'm like, wow, okay, this is the team that was advertised fast. And that's one of the things where, as a fan, I was upset because if you remember the first two years, the first year under Babcock, they played a lot of 6-5 games, but man, were they fun to watch. Like, I sat there in front of my screen every night not knowing what the hell's going to happen, and I kind of felt like they were f- having fun out there. And I know that's kind of cliche, but, like, I think that's what this team is, like, I, I truly believe Sheldon Keefe just went in that room and said, go have fun out there and play the way you guys are supposed to be playing. And that's what it was. Like, they looked like they were having fun. And for the first time in a long time, they looked like the team that was advertised. And, and hopefully this continues. It was certainly a long way to come from the Lou Lamorello short hair and uh, clean shaven days. Um, and, and you look at a lot of other uh, a lot of other teams that when they fire their head coach and replace them, usually you come in and the new coach is saying, we're playing with house money, boys. Go out there. Have fun with it. Like, come, yeah, come in and just come in and just, you know, have fun out there. But personally, given the way the body language looked around this team for the last little bit, given the way it looked in the first night there, I was honestly a little bit disgusted. I'm thinking you're playing for a guy like Babcock and it's just so clear you quit on him. Like at this point, you know, like you're pros, you're being paid to go out there and work and, and play the game. Uh, and obviously I'm sitting here being an armchair quarterback, but like at the end of the day, when you're celebrating that hard, just cause you don't have to play for a guy who, who can be a bit of an asshole to me, it just, it just seems a little bit gross. I'm so glad you brought that up, Mike, because I, I want to take this chance. I love the chats we've been going just to zoom out a little bit and really talk about uh, the Leafs in general and what I think their problems are. I'll, I'll ask you a question, Joe. Uh, do you, well, I'll say a couple of things first, but I don't believe this is a championship roster. I don't believe this core is championship material. Um, I've uh, I've talked to Nick about this so much, and, and even on the last episode, I'm like Mike, I'm very disappointed with the character guys of, that we have on this team. Uh, you can see from the beginning of this show, I've gone from a, a I liked the Leafs to where I am now, where I, I really don't like them at all. I think they've got all the skill in the world, but what kind of guys quit on a on a guy like this is a professional? This is a professional hockey league. the The obvious amount of quit and and just not caring attitude was was startling. I mean, I think that with the contracts and, and those kinds of things, you cast a, you cast a negative shadow. Um, 
and just like it just feels like it's a team of of kind of uh stuck up little princesses they don't have guys like uh they don't have guys who are willing to do anything for the team it seems like i think hyman might fit that mold but it's just not enough and um and just guys who are willing to set down their prides their egos to play any role i don't see this core as a championship core and uh, I'll, I'll turn uh, I'll, I'll turn the mic over to anyone who wants to challenge that so basically, like the conversation Kyle and I have been having, like privately, is like he he just he, he thinks this team lacks character, and and that's that's something you need to win a cup, and they don't have it. So what what do you have to say about that, oh, Mister no, Number One Fan? Before I go, and I think that physicality still matters. All right, uh, you know, <laughs> I I I agree that I think that the Leafs do need some sandpaper. I'm not all just about skill and analytics. I think that. I think that's, for example, some guy like Tom Wilson would be a perfect fit for the Leafs, something like that. Um, I'm not saying they should go out and get Ryan Reeves because I don't believe that has a place in the game anymore. I don't think we should have you know slow six foot six guys just because they add toughness or grit. I think if there's players in the Zach Hyman mold, more of them, that would be great. Um, it, it, in your term of uh, when you're talking about character guys, I actually think the Leafs have a lot of character guys. I think John Tavares is a character guy. I think guys like um, Morgan Riley is definitely a character guy. I think Muzzin is a character guy. I think guys like Kerfoot are character guys. I think Spezza is someone who's a character guy. I think a lot of those guys, when the playoffs come around, assuming they do make the playoffs, uh, will step up for the team. And, and, and again, like we were talking about, it's about the system, right? And, and I want to see if, you know, in the playoffs, maybe with this system and now the whole team buying into the system, maybe they don't need the grit or the sandpaper in the playoffs. Maybe this is what will work for them, right? So, and, and again, like I said, I think that the reason why John Tavares is the captain is because he is a character guy. And, and I, I just think that, I think that the least, I don't know if this roster can win the cup. I think they can compete. And it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. Anything can happen, right? And I mean, I think that if Anderson gets hot and they're scoring at will, and maybe if they don't run into Boston, you know, they'll win the Cup. And I mean, imagine how someone, if you were a Washington Capitals fan all those years, you know, you ran into Pittsburgh every single time and got beat, and you thought this roster was never going to be capable of winning the Cup. And they finally got by him, and they did. You know, who the hell thought St. Louis was ever going to get to the finals last year? Look at a, a team like, like Carolina last year. They made it pretty deep in the playoffs as well. And, and, you know, one thing I just want to stick up for for the Leafs, um, people always say that, yeah, that you guys lost to Boston like two times in a row. Boston's a good team. They're not, like, it's not like they're going out there playing like, Boston's a great fucking team. And I don't blame the Leafs for, it's not that much of a shocker to say, oh, wow, they lost to Boston twice. Boston's a great team. They have a great line. They have a great goalie. They're well coached. And, and, and the Leafs took them to seven games and had ample chances to win those games, you know? And I just think that maybe with this new coach and maybe with this system, everyone buying in, they that's what will take them to the 10th floor of the building. So I'm going to side with Kyle on this one where I think that character is definitely lacking on the team. And, and I don't believe that they have that type of uh, run in them because I think that this is a team that's shown that when the chips are down and they lose big, they take it to heart and they don't come back with the, we just got to like outwork the other team to get back in it attitude. I mean, you don't you don't really see them come out the next game with the, you know, it's a fresh start. You saw over this losing stretch that it just started to wear on them. And perhaps that was Babcock. Perhaps that was sort of the attitude around the team and the fact that, like, they didn't like playing for him. But um, 
like they don't seem to have the mental toughness that you need to go deep in the playoffs where you know you're playing a game every other night and you can go out and lose big i think st louis in game two or game one of the stanley cup playoffs got absolutely blown out by boston and the next day they showed up and they were outworking boston uh like both ends of the ice didn't the Leafs lose uh, game two pretty big too in, in the playoffs and they came back and won the next game as well? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't, I don't think that, I, I just don't think that, I, I think the image of them as a bunch of prima donnas is not accurate. I think, I think that those guys negotiated their contracts like anyone would. I mean, if, if I'm the, if I'm the player, am I not trying to get the most money I can? Like, am I, am I an asshole for trying to get what I think I'm worth on the open market? Like, I mean, people talk about taking a pay cut. I mean, are you going to take a pay cut when millions of dollars are at stake? And, and, and Nick, as a Leaf fan, just, I'm going to ask you, do you really give a shit if the team quit on Babcock and they end up winning the cup? Like, does that matter to you that the team quit on Babcock at all? Like, does it... Absolutely not, because we still got the cup. And here's the other thing I want to throw in here. How, how, can you, how can you properly evaluate their character when they're not playing for the coach they want to play for, right? When the, there's mixed messaging. When, when they can't buy into what he's saying, right? When, when he is there just fucking barking at them every single game, wouldn't you kind of act kind of not yourself? Now, I get what you're saying, Nick. I, I'm sure it's hard, but this is... I can't stress this enough. And Carlo Koliakovo has gone on the air to say this. You are an NHL player. Doesn't matter if you don't like the coach. You play to win every single time you put on that jersey it's an absolutely sacred thing to put on the maple leafs jersey and these guys for for a whole season now 2019 the calendar year 2019 they're not a playoff team their record states these guys doesn't matter they, they, they don't agree with the coach fine but the amount of quit that we all we all have seen is uh, is disgraceful and um guys i'm talking about when i talk about the character i'm mostly talking about the core players I think Tavares is a good character guy. I, I will I will give you that. I don't think he's been here long enough to kind of spread that uh, that work ethic message. But Matthews, Marner, and Nylander are the guys that kind of worry me a little bit. Well, why is Matthews six foot six six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds, and can't lay a hit? Why can't he? add a physical element to his game he doesn't do it in the playoffs he just does he have bad shoulders maybe he does but you're six foot three and you need to add something you need to use that somehow I know you, you don't want to do it it's not your style of game but guess what man like physicality still matters you don't need to be big Brendan Gallagher is the fucking epitome of a heart and soul guy not a very skilled guy but he'll get he'll get you uh he'll get you a spark he'll get you he'll get you goals this guy will get his team to work for him because he'll he's willing to do anything to win i don't see that kind of guy on this leafs team before i pass it along to joe here who's a little fired up by this discussion i just i just want to point out as well that uh we're talking we're talking about people quitting on a coach stan bowman was notorious for like his players hating him the players did not like to. Scotty, my bad, my bad, my bad. Scotty Bowman was was infamous. Yeah, that's on me. Uh, but Scotty Bowman was famous for his players hating to go in there and play for him. But they showed up and they put in work and they won cups. And I just think at the end of the day, you don't have to like your boss. But when you're being paid eleven million dollars in a results league where you haven't gotten results, you should show up and play. Yeah, that's fair. But but if I'm playing for an asshole, like I have no desire to to go out there and and, and do. I imagine like your boss every day is just a douchebag and berates you. Like, are you gonna put out your best product of work? Like they're human too, right? These guys aren't just, you know, 
cogs in the wheel. Like they have, I'm sure they have feelings too. And they're making it known. Like, you know, like I said, like I understand that keeps a player's coach. And, and like, I was listening to Jeff O'Neill, like not, he's not always going to say like, yeah, you do what you want. You have to follow the rules, but just don't be a douchebag every single day. Like, I don't know if you guys heard what happened with Patan at the start of the year where Babcock was like, are you even supposed to be there? Like what kind of, of, of coach does that? You know, like, I think it's a two-way street. And, and, and also to your point about Austin Matthews, I agree. I think he's got to be way more physical. He's a huge, he's massive. He's over six feet tall. He's huge. He's got a huge frame, wide shoulders. Yeah, use it. I agree. But maybe he's still developing. You know, he's only, what, 21, 22 years old. Maybe he, he will eventually develop that. And maybe some uh, someone who he wants to play for, like Keith, can bring it out bring it out at him, you know? And, and you know what? I, I, I just, I agree with you. I think there's guys in that team that are what they are. Nylander's never going to throw a hit. That's just not the type of player he is. Marner, I don't think he can throw a hit. He's, he's way too small. It's not the, the type of player he is. But uh, um, again, at the end of the day, I, I think that... Yeah, well, like like I said, yeah, but I think that guys like Trevor Moore, I think is a firecracker out there. I think... I think guys like Mikheyev are, are, are big and strong and they can and they can get in there and, 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 and things like that. But again, like, like you said, I, it's, the team's not built for hitting. You know, what has been the main criticism of the Leafs when they played Boston all the time? They get sucked into Boston's game. You know, hitting and try to outgrind Boston. You can't outgrind Boston. You know how you beat Boston? You out fucking skate them, right? And I just think that at the end of the day, talking about this whole thing about physicality and shit like that is starting to go down the road that Babcock was going. Where I'm going to try to make this team something that it's not. I'd rather them play with skill and not hit anybody than try and lay out hits and try and grind them down and lose games. So that's just my opinion on that. But here's here's my thing. There is if he'd gotten fired for trying to get them to play the wrong way, that that'd be fine. But I feel as though at the end of the day, what he got fired for was the players quitting on him. And I think that's I think that's an unfair result for a guy who's shown that uh, that he can be a good coach in the league. I think Babcock needs to change moving forward. Like I think you'll see in his next coaching gig uh, that he's going to have to reevaluate his systems and sort of change them up, uh, similar to how Claude Julien had to do that when he when he joined Montreal. Um, and, and how Tortorella's changed over his years in the league. Like Tortorella used to be a pain in the ass to play for too, but he's gotten a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that so much of so much of the reasoning that went into the firing was that Babcock lost the room, and I think that ha- that speaks almost more about the, more to the players. And so at this point, I feel as though they need to step up and show that they can still be the guys they were, and that they are going to perform now. So yeah, I agree that you know this year it, it may have looked like the team was quitting on him, but but did they quit on him? You know, back in January last year when they were playing five hundred, you think that's when they started quitting on him? Like yeah. maybe uh, you you think they? I, I don't know. I I think so. So like I mean, you could say that they quit on them, but they also took Boston to seven games, and and you know, so I I don't know if it's necessary. I mean, this year, yes, it looks like it was a definite fact that the team did not want to play for him, but I feel that the least issues with Babcock has gone all the way back to probably the post-All-Star break last year. And I don't know if that's necessarily the team quitting on him. It might just be the fact that his systems were just not something that the team wanted to play or, or something that the team couldn't play, you know? His defensive zone coverage, like a lot of it was like stationary and moving parts. And if you looked at even the game against Arizona, they played a lot of man-on-man defense, you know? And obviously, yes, like Anderson bailed them out with a couple of big saves, but I even thought they looked better defensively in that game, you know? Way better defensive. The forwards were checking. The forwards were coming back. The penalty kill looked okay, aside from the fact when they left those two guys in front of the net alone, work in progress. But, I mean, I, I just thought they overall looked better. And, and I'm really excited to see in this stretch of play 
how the penalty kill works, how the power play goes. And I just want to see, you know, how many shots they're giving up and like where they're coming from. And, and tonight will be a really good test, but I, I really want to see the system implemented. No, I agree. That's why I'm so optimistic and why I can't be too deflating on them with the whole not enough, you know, help on D argument. Like, because they they really, Arizona had like three scoring chances that whole game. Really? Like, it, it was brilliant. Until that end when they lost the shutout, they were brilliant defend, like with their zone coverage. Yeah. Against Arizona? I mean, he had, he had to make that really nice glove save in the first period. On the power play, he let that guy really tight, very in close. He almost put it in five hole. I think it was Stepan who was like checking to see if the puck had crossed the line. That was two chances. And then there was the, the one at the end when they scored on the to break the shutout. Before a while, though, that uh, that penalty kill, like they weren't even letting them in the zone, I think, in the third penalty kill. There was a while there where they held them to under 25 shots. When's the last time you've seen a Leaf team do that? And again, it's hard not to overreact because it's one game. And this is why the stretch of games is going to be important. But after tonight, I mean, they have a pretty winnable schedule. They have Detroit, Buffalo back-to-back. I mean, that's, I mean, a couple of wins. You string together four or five wins, you're back in it. And, you know, I think with a lot of Leaf fans now, there's just a lot of optimism because it looks like the team finally woke up. And I don't know if you've watched the Leafs blueprint or any of the, the locker room just looks, like, happier. They said there was music coming out of the locker room. They looked happy. And I think that, like, that might be an intangible where we don't know how bad it was when Babcock was there and you know how relieved some of the guys feel and I think that might carry them I mean I thought I always said this could go one of two ways it's going to either be a St. Louis situation where they rally and not win the cup but they'll go far or it's just going to blow up in their faces and hopefully it's the you know the former yeah so yeah I think we can all agree I mean we've hit a lot of points here um I mean we can all you mentioned the character thing that's maybe something we don't quite agree on yet but I think we can all agree there there is optimism right they, they they've they've brought in the right guy the guy who was who who Doobie wanted all along and so the answer is to if the Shanna plan will work is coming to its climax right so it, it's super exciting um, now one thing I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it's it's a two part question and I only ask just so we can you know tie a bow on this on this Babcock thing um because, you know, me and a buddy of ours, a mutual friend of Joe and I's, Mark Sandor, big Babcock fan. He owns this book that Babcock wrote, and it's all about motivation. Like, it's, it goes outside of sports. And, and, and Mark had, had highlighted all these notes there because whenever he needs motivation, he just reads one of the quotes. And he's like, wow, what a quote. And he wants to lend this book to me. I can't wait to read it. Um, and, and anyways, I just I want to quickly just talk about his legacy. Because Mark and I had a bit of a fiery debate. Mark is the ultimate Babs defender was saying this won't taint his legacy. He still has the Olympic golds. The team didn't want to play to his style. It doesn't say too much about how poor of a coach he is. Whereas I said, I think this is quite the hit to his legacy. Because this is a guy who lost in three straight first rounds in the playoffs. Hasn't hasn't won the cup since 08. It's almost been a decade. I mean, he hasn't really had much playoff success since then. So I want to I wanna just talk about A... Do you think this hits his legacy? How does this affect his legacy moving forward? And B, where do you see him moving? What's your prediction? Where is he heading next? And how long? How much time does he take off? And then where does he go? Joe, we'll start with you. Yeah, so to the legacy point, I do think his legacy takes a bit of a hit. I mean, obviously, he's still going to be a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest coaches in the NHL. But to not, make the, to not get out of the first round for this long and, you know, People talk about the Olympic gold medals and, and Detroit, but a lot of people still say, and myself included, that look at those teams and they're fantastic. Now, yeah, again, you can't sleepwalk your way to 700 wins, but 
I do think that Babcock not being able to get the most out of a very talented roster here and failing with them, you know, three times to not get out of the first round is um, on his overall legacy, yes. But I, again, like I will qualify that by saying by his leash legacy, I think when it's all said and done, will be remembered a lot more fondly than it is now. Um, where do I see him going next? I don't know if he's going to coach this year. But I think that some stops for him likely stops. I think Nashville could be a stop for him. They're a veteran team. They play good defense. I think that could be a stop for him. San Jose could be a stop for them, another veteran team. Um, But I don't know if he'll be coaching this year. I think he'll take some time off and go back. But I I think Nashville or San Jose would be possible landing spots. The former I could see because Nashville's kind of in disarray here. I mean, they're like floating around 500, which is crazy for that team, especially after after the Duchesne acquisition. Um, But, you know, San Jose, I'd I'd have to respectfully disagree. I think Pete DeBoer might be the best coach in the NHL. And, uh, well, I just, you know, he's a lawyer. He he went to Windsor, Windsor, Windsor Law. So, uh, so he's in our, you know, he should get respect from us. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I couldn't see that happening, but, uh, Mike, let's, let's move to you. Two prong question. Uh, so when it, when it comes to Mike Babcock, I've spent a lot of this, uh, a lot of this podcast defending him. And I feel like a lot of the reason why I do that is because he's received a, like a serious negative review, uh, in the Leafs fandom over the past little bit. And I feel like he doesn't deserve that. Uh, even even more recently, Mark Fraser sent out like a Twitter string, sort of condemning him as a as a player's coach, saying that he's he's a horrible guy and that there are some stories that you don't hear about the way he treats his players. Um, but at the end of the day, when asked why he's still a coach in the NHL, even Mark uh, admits he wins, and that like that's what he does. He goes out there and wins. So when it comes to his legacy, uh, this is the first time he's been fired. It's the first time where I think. There have been uh, serious questions about the type of guy he is as a coach uh, outside of just the fringe. Um, I think even the Mike Medano instance, you know, back when he was in Detroit, got swept under the rug pretty quickly. Uh, but but this time, you can't really escape that. I think moving forward, he's going to have to take a bit of a Tortorella approach, uh, sort of change up the way he treats the players, change up the way that, that he coaches. Uh, it's clear that his systems work for certain types of players, um, but that if the GM's not going to equip him with those tools, that he's got to he's got to maybe readjust his strategy. Uh, personally, I think the biggest barrier for him coming back has to do with that contract and the fact that he's got a bit of an ego. He's going to want a similar amount of money to come back. Are the Leafs going to be willing to cover most of it? Are they going to ask the new team to cover it? And uh, if they're asking the new team to cover it, it limits you to big, big markets where they might already be happy with their coach. Um, but when he wants to coach again, there's going to be a market out there for his services. It's going to be a matter of payment and the financial stuff surrounding the rest of his contract. Where, where he ends up. Uh, I've heard stuff about Seattle, but I, I think... I think Nashville's an interesting one. I think Nashville's the type of team where you've got... Uh, you got a little bit more of an old school team that's been put together, a little bit more grit and grind than than some other places. Um, that being said, there's been a shift in the league generally. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think a young team and an emerging team in Seattle, not to say that they'll be young players-wise, but just young organizationally, uh, might be a good fit for him where he can, again, be that ego to give them some credibility, right? Um, but not entirely sure. 
Yeah, I like I really like Mike Babcock as a coach, but he came to Toronto, he chose Toronto and he failed in Toronto. So it you it can't not taint at, le- at least a little bit his legacy. Uh, and especially that fact that he is uh, not very adaptable. Uh, there's extremely legitimate arguments to say that this guy didn't adjust as he needed to uh, with the growing of the team and that kind of thing. So yeah, of course his legacy is, is diminished a little bit. And when he came to Toronto, it was pretty sparkling. But you know what? He uh, he didn't have too much success leading out of that Detroit, uh, that Detroit team. But yeah, it, it is tarnished a little bit. As of where he'll go, I, I could actually see Minnesota as, as a pretty good landing spot. Bruce Boudreaux's leash, leash is getting shorter by the day. And that is a team... Oh my God, I can't wait. We love watching him blow. It's, it's so fun. But that's a team, I mean, they're bound to be on the rise soon because, you know, they've been in the basement a, a bit. I don't like how they've drafted necessarily with their young guys. But uh, again, like uh, Mike said, there's a bit of an older kind of taste over there, a little bit more grit grindy. So I could see him being maybe the fixture of their rebuild uh, in, the, in the months to come, the years to come, maybe. Here's where I think you're all wrong. Well, Joe, Joe is, I'm probably more in line with Joe here. I don't think my Babcock is signing up for another rebuild. He just sat through a rebuild the last four years. He wants to go to a team that's instantaneously ready to compete for a cup. He does, a, he does not want to sit at more draft tables and cultivate more players. Okay, hey, we'll go there. We'll go there. But, but let, me, let me give my prediction first. You know, I, I already talked about his legacy. I tossed this to you guys last night. I think Tampa Bay is a fantastic fit. I think I think I think I think John Cooper is on his way out if he can't solve this. If he can't get them, if he can't get them on a run here and get them to at least the East final this coming year, I think he's out. John Cooper's out. He'll be without a job. He went to the phoniest law school in the country. Okay? So he's not a lawyer, he's a fraud. He's a fraud. Fraud. Um but my, my point is, I think a team that's already built, like a team that has Hedman, McDonough on the back end, Mike would salivate over that. And, and, and I, I just think he'd be so happy to go to that market. And, and get this, Joe, if, he, if he, they get the pick, if they get to face the Leafs in a series and Babcock sticks it to Dubas, I'd fuck it. Like as a Leaf fan, I'd, I'd cheer for the Leafs. But a part of me would be pretty happy for Mike. Like to fuck, stick it to Matthews. Like you're fucking shit. I just fucked you up with this roster that's way better than your roster. Like, suck it, Dubis. I think that'd be fucking awesome. So it'll be interesting. If Babcock goes to Tampa, I wonder if, you know, I would love to see an overtime where Kucherov and Stamkos are on the bench and he'll somehow get, he'll get, he'll get, he'll get, he'll get Nick Shore to come out and take a face off for the other team. Cedric, yeah, it'll be it'll be like that. No, and the reason I said San Jose is because I just think that uh, San Jose has been waiting to like take a next step, and by next step I mean actually win something. And I think that maybe they might like like Mike Babcock would be, you know, that guy that can do that. That's the reason why I said San Jose. But I agree. I think Pete DeBoer is a great coach. I, I think, but I also think San Jose is a team where I can you not see Babs firing up guys like Thornton and you know I, I you, you can't see that. I could. I think they would want to play for him, and I think there's some history there with Babcock and Thornton. Was Thornton on those Olympic teams? Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. I mean, no, no offense to San Jose, but I mean, no, I, I just no, I, I get all the points. I just think like I think Cooper's on a shorter leash than DeBoer. I, DeBoer and, and and Wilson and San Jose have a very good relationship. They the other day they were nine seven and two. They were nine nine seven and two for the Tampa Bay Lightning is bad. 
they 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 need they need to pick they they need to, they need to pick it up with those games in hand. I just for for Cooper, it's all gonna come down to playoff success. The regular season doesn't fucking matter in, in Tampa. He got washed by Tortorella. Tortorella outcoached him in that first round. That was inexcusable. You got swept by Columbus, and you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was when the alarm sounded, you know, in in, in the management for for Tampa Bay, and I think they're watching him with a very close eye. Interesting hypothetical I was going to put to the group. Who do you think would win? Uh, Cassidy coaching the Leafs roster or Babcock coaching the Bruins roster in a playoff series? The, the latter. I, I, I'd love to see uh, Babs behind the Boston bench. That'd be awesome. I mean, you know his relationship with Bergeron, Marshawn. He, he, he loves those guys. He's coached them in two Olympics. So, like, oh, my God. Marshawn with uh, Marshawn Bergeron with Crosby, yeah. you know he. Just threw him on the that was the best line I've ever seen. No, I, I, I'd like, I, I'd still like the, uh, the, the, yeah, the Bab, the Babs in Boston. I think I, I would love to see what Casty would do in that in that playoffs against him. But yeah, I also think that Babcock with Boston's roster would do it. But I think Boston's roster is designed to play a Mike Babcock game too. And I think if Mike Babcock was on that team, I, I, coaching that team, I think that that would be his wet dream in terms of, like, that that's the team that he wants, right? So uh, yeah, I agree. I just thought it'd be interesting. Uh, hey, if you can't beat him, you join him, right? So there we fucking go. There's Mike, kind of heading over to them. So yeah, I I mean I don't know about the John Cooper uh, deal there. Like Tampa may have had a slow start, but they signed him to an extension last year. And you can look around the league at several teams that have had slow starts where there just isn't the same amount of panic that uh, there was around the Leafs. And I think that has a little bit to do with the market, right? Like even Calgary, another Canadian market, which are historically bad to play in media wise, uh, they're they're off to a bit of a rough start. They won today in the shootout, so uh, that was good to see. Um, but nobody's been calling for Bill Peters' head. Nobody's been calling for any major changes. Uh, maybe maybe a trade or something down the line. But they they have a lot of faith in the group there. And if you look at the way Tampa's constructed too, like uh, I'm sure there's a ton of faith from management that they're going to turn it around. Dallas went from dead last in the league to now they're uh, third in the central right now after going on a bit of a run. I think um, I think this is the type of league where there's not a ton that separates last place from first. Uh, it's generally goaltending in one or two players. And I think that um, for most teams around the league, there's not the same amount of panic in getting rid of their coach. Yeah, I was going to actually ask the group here what do you think would have happened the reactions would have been like the least lost that game against Arizona would it have been the same sort of reaction where they're like oh well it obviously wasn't Babcock yeah. you know you think it would have been something like that would have would have blown yeah oh yeah and 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 I think and I think it's gone uh a little bit maybe too far in the other direction where they think that Keith is now the savior uh but I, I'm so happy they won that game because I I could not even want to see what the headlines would be the next morning and every old man on Twitter would have been out of his hole and started saying how the you know doofus doesn't know how to build the roster uh, there's no one that can fight in this team where are the hits coming from you know I told you and it would have been a Damian Cox's a favorite day uh, of the year I, mean, I feel bad for ripping on him but I mean you know he's just been such a clown with this whole thing out there it's just been bad um, what did you guys think of uh, Mike Commodore's last you you like the one where he was packing up? I thought that was a bit classless. I thought that was a bit classless. I, 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 yeah. 
I see that shit on Twitter and I just shake my head. This guy's a joke. He, yeah, you want to hold grudges like that and go that far? And I, I, I don't get entertained by shit like that. And again, tap dancing on someone's grave. And this just seems odd to me. And this guy, it seems like he's grubbing he's for attention. He's yeah, because yeah, he's, he's irrelevant now and he's grubbing for yeah. attention. And this is how he's getting it. Wait, so that's Babcock in the photo? Packing out of his like downtown like apart condo. I understand what he, I understand what he's saying. I mean, like, yeah, you want to go on a gripe, but I actually thought what Mark Fraser did was a little bit more, um, sort of not as dickish. I mean, he he basically went off. He basically was just saying that you know, there's a lot of things you don't know about Babs, and I I agree. But I think my commenters taking it a bit too far. Like, this grudge is gone. It's ridiculous. Like, what what are you doing? Like. Like I, I know I think there's a ton of respect for Commodore and uh, ex players around the league, and I think that a lot of people believe that he's he is speaking the truth on Babcock. But I agree, like from a from a bit of an outsider's perspective, not knowing what happening what happens behind closed doors, this seems like a bit much. Um, but given given the Fraser tweet uh, tweets as well, it m- may just be that like this is the type of uh, feeling that Babcock leaves a lot of his ex-players with and that Commodore is speaking up but a lot of people hold this feeling towards the guy uh, behind closed doors definitely classless with the photos and the tweets but uh, another indication of, of perhaps the ego on the guy how fucking evil can one, the one guy be like it, it doesn't how bad could this guy be that this guy has to like dedicate his whole post career to fucking slamming him? I don't know I haven't heard Mike Commodore's name since he left the NHL Unless it's fucking on Mike Babcock. Like, yeah. the hell? Yeah, no, I take that back. I, I, I just saw the tweet, like, the good morning, this is a happy day. Like, I just, the immediate reaction. I just saw that, and I and I kind of chuckled because I, I had the chicklets background and the story he told. Like, because from a fan perspective, you, you, you like having that source, that inside source, as opposed to just seeing Mike, the, the stubborn family man on the bench, like, talking and stuff. Like, that's all we get to see on the bench, right? I mean, you made a great point about Hitchcock the other day, right? Right? Like Hitchcock would only bark at his players when the play was going on, but then when it was off, he would stand there calmly with his arms crossed. So from a from yeah, so from from a fan perspective, I like hearing the stories. I like hearing the dirty Babcock stories. You know, they're fun. But like, but like, I I just and and the and the Commodore thing just played to that. But the the stuff about the photo, like, did he take that photo? Like, okay, but but just yeah, that's that's a little much. That's a little much. It is. I mean, obviously, he's going to be compensated well, and that that's fine. But at the end of the day, someone lost their job. And the initial outrage I thought was funny. I'm like, okay, yeah, he finally got his wish. But the T-shirt's in the fuck. That's just unnecessary. Uh, who's winning tonight? Yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about that. That's great. I think it's going to be a, a, a high-scoring game. It's an important game for the Leafs. Um, I, I think the Leafs might take it tonight. The Avs are hurt. Guys are banged up a bit. Um, can't wait to see Makar. I uh, can't wait to see Barry and Kadri. Um, Kerfoot's going to be there too. Uh, it's going to be a really, really good game tonight, and I, I think that it's it. This is this is great. Like I'm, I'm happy to be optimistic again for a long time. I haven't been optimistic since game one of yeah. this Leafs season because they have just looked so poor and boring. So I'm just happy to finally be optimistic again. I know that sounds like, like I mean, as a Leaf fan, like this is not like I know that's like because like we have been optimistic for like 50 years and we finally made the playoffs in back-to-back years, but like I'm happy to be, you know, optimistic because these past six games, I mean, you know me, I'm a diehard Leaf fan. I turned off the game in the Vegas and Boston games. Like I couldn't watch it. It was just so bad. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, we're so blessed right now because several factors coming together to make this just a, a great, great, great game to watch. I mean, you know, the, the Makar story, the all the stuff around Toronto, the positive energy now, it's all kind of funneling into this one great Saturday night game. Yeah, exactly. The, the trades and, you know, we're amongst new friends, new hockey fans, so it's going to be a great watching experience for us. We've, we've got... We've got, yeah, we've got a drink on the game. We're going to be just crushing beers here in, in Kingston, and it's going to be a fantastic night. Yeah, Colorado's going to win this one. Yeah, no, Colorado, Colorado 100% is winning this one. Um, however, uh, the one thing I want to point out going into this game, uh, because I do think it's going to be a fun one. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think Colorado, uh, Colorado ends up winning, but we see more energy from the Leafs again. Um is I saw a tweet this morning uh, that was talking about how Sheldon Keefe is playing Nick Shore in Colorado because the guy's got family there and he has a ton of connections. Yeah, so uh, I just I just want to point that out before before we move a little for, further here. I just want to really quickly touch over the, like you said, Colorado's hurt right now. I'm going to touch over the in injuries here. Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, Colin Wilson, Tyson Jost, Matt Calvert. Matt Calvert, by the way, Fucking awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome spark plug guy. Yeah. So they're hurt, but I think it'll be a close matchup, high scoring, and uh, Colorado wins this one. I'm gonna even things up here and go, with Joe. I, I think the Leafs are primed for a big game tonight. I think they're gonna they're gonna come out strong. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, but no, I, I think that they're going to ride a lot of momentum from the Arizona game. I think Barry's going to be fired up, especially after scoring the goal. Now he's back playing against his buddies, playing against the guy who usurped his role, Makar. There's so many great stories, you know, oh, it, 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 it's going to, I'm, 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 I'm super excited. And, and like Joe said, like, it's just, it's fun to be excited again. You know, like it, it felt like a palate cleanser when they beat Arizona, like the Babcock era is over. Like it's like a new era. I could take a deep breath, and it's just like it's a refresher. I don't know how to describe it. Um, I think I have a policy to not bet on or against the Leafs when they're playing. Um, but if I, if I, if you guys want to bet, I think Kadri scoring is keeps up with the Leafian tradition of everybody from Peter Holland to Phil Kessel coming back and scoring on them. Yeah, I think yeah. Kadri scores tonight. I think Tyson Berry actually might pot another one tonight. I think that would be good for him. Um, yeah, I hope it's a high-scoring game. I hope it's fun. Uh, I want to see some, like, not fights, but I want to see some jousting among the players. I want to see how Kadri reacts. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think this is just going to be a great night of hockey. Like, I'm really, really excited to, to see this game, and, and I haven't said that all year except, you know. And even when I went to the game in Montreal in February, I I still felt bad about that game going in, and we lost 5-2. I was Olaid out of the building. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're going to go in February. That's going to be fun. Like, I'm, I'm really excited for that now. Like, yeah. you know, it's going to be a good game. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially because, like you said, we don't know the backup. Who will it be then? Like, Cass, as far as I know, Cascasuo right now is just on a day-by-day -day tryout, you know? I think he's got more leash now that it's Keith coaching, so they got a relationship. They got a rapport. Do you think they need a new backup goalie? It's too, a jury's still out. I mean, I, I think we'd agree that that pits... That, uh, that that Pittsburgh game, that Pittsburgh game, a lot of it was on the Leafs' defense, just giving up. That, you want to talk about pathetic? That was a game where, like, I mean, I was, I was, I, I didn't watch that game. I, I was out that night, but I saw the highlights the next day, and that was a game where you'd be like, the players, that's pathetic. Like, no matter what you think of Babcock, and I know they weren't playing for him, that was a game where you're just like, these guys, this is pathetic. They should be embarrassed. 
And they didn't respond even after that. They lost again after that. So it was just... Yeah, that was the ton of bricks that broke the camel's back there. Like, there, it was... It, it You know, when it rains, it pours. And that night, it was it was pouring. Embarrassing. An absolute embarrassing display. Like, And my, the worst part about it is my roommate's a Penguins fan. And, and he just wouldn't let me live it. He's still not letting me live it down. You know, and the fact that the Leafs aren't in a playoff spot. But I don't know if you guys remember, the Pens last year weren't solidified in a playoff spot till at least yeah. by February, March. So... Hoping the Leafs can, you know, sort of turn that around. Yeah, do, do we think we're going to make the playoffs, the Leafs? Do, do you have them at, uh, what do you have them percentage-wise? I guess this, yeah, this would be a nice final closing comment section, just given we can, you know, cast our predictions and prognostications here. Um, I, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, man, it's going to be tough. I mean, because cause it, it's not only, like, I have more optimism in the team, but every, it's the other teams in the division that worry me, right? Florida is like 13-5-5. Five and five. Like, that's solid. And and Bobrovsky's not even playing well right now. So, like, when he turns it on in, like, March, which he always does, like, every fantasy expert knows that. He's, like, the goalie to own in March. Um, like, they're going to be good. And, and Tampa, they're going to make up those games in hand, and they're going to leapfrog teams if, if Cooper can, of course, get this together. Um, and, uh, you know, Boston, you know they're going to stay up there. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo with the new coach seems to have some vigor now. And and until they start staking, I know. But, but still, that coach, I like that new coach there. Yeah. Um, you know, Montreal, we, we talked about earlier and how they match up with the Leafs. It's going to be incredibly tight, but I, I think I still, you know, I had them making the playoffs from the start. And I'm going to stick with my guns. I think they make the playoffs. If I had to make a percentage, I would say the Leafs will make the playoffs. I'd say the percentage, 80%. 80%, yeah. 80, 80% chance the Leafs make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I was, before I pulled this up, I was like 90% sure that Toronto would make the playoffs. Right now, just so you guys know, they have 24 points in 24 games, 82-point pace. Whatever they've, Obviously, there's some demons behind them. But the other uh, teams in this Atlantic here, Boston's going to stay. I think Florida's legit. I really think that they, if they piece it together with, uh, with all the stuff they have going on there. And let's be honest, if Tampa makes a surge and they come back, that's the third spot. I mean, that and Montreal, they're going to be kicking and, and screaming till the very end. They'll be bubble wildcard uh, team, especially with all the other, other teams in the Atlantic. It's going to be hard, but I, I think Toronto, I'm going to give them a 75 to 80. Like, I'm pretty darn confident this is definitely a playoff team. It's just like you said, if Tampa starts to surge, Florida keeps it going, and Montreal becomes that annoying pest of a team that just won't go away, we might have a conversation. So I don't know how I ended up with the last word here, but uh, I'll try. To, I'll try to make it good. Um, I think in the Atlantic, you're looking at Boston winning the division. I agree that Florida looks legit, and then Tampa is going to come up and probably finish second or third. Uh, given that that's how it's going to play out, I think Montreal and Toronto end up in the wild card spots, uh, and I think Toronto ends up in the wild card spot that pits them against Boston in the first round, baby. So that's my prediction for you. As the, the resident Leafs homer here, I, I think that the Leafs, I honestly, you, I am surprised that you guys gave them 75 to 80% chance. I was, I, 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 I honestly give them like a, like a 60 to 65% chance. And the only reason I'm saying that is not because of the team. I think they'll go on a run. I think they'll play well, but like you said, it's the ground they have to make up. And usually, you know, by American Thanksgiving, you know what you have. And, you know, like you said, 82 point pace. Boston does not look like they're slowing down anytime soon. Tampa's going to win. Uh, Florida, I agree with you. I think once Bogrovsky, and he's not even figured himself out yet, I think all they needed that team was goaltending and a coach, and they're better. Um, 
Montreal, I hate them, but they're going to be kicking around, and, and they're a good team. And I think if they do make it, it'll be a wild card spot. Because um, remember, Philadelphia, they're still kicking around there. Like a lot of those Metro teams are really, really good that can make the wild card spot. It's, they've dug themselves into a hole. And as the resident Leaf fan here, like I, I want to be optimistic. I think I believe their talent might carry them into the playoffs. But if they do, I think it'll be a wild card spot. I think any chance of finishing top there. Maybe that's what they need. Yeah. Maybe they they finish second in the wild, first in the wild card spot. They play like a Washington, you know, and, and they exercise some demons, uh, you know, or fuck it. Maybe they play Boston this year and this might be the final year that they do it. Like, who knows, you know? They need, they do. And and I, and I think that's one of the reasons why Tampa Bay last year struggled in the playoffs because that team didn't have any adversity all year. And sometimes when you get stuck in a rut and you've never got out of it all year, once you're in that rut, you can't get out. So, you know, maybe, and, and again, like, I'd rather have the Leafs play like garbage now, pick it up, and then, you know, be actively engaged going into the playoffs. So maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. No, it's 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 a fantastic take, and I, and uh, I couldn't agree more. And I respect the sixty to sixty five coming from probably the biggest Leaf fan here, like the least pessimistic from our conversation so far. So yeah, um, yeah, great, great final segment there. Uh, you know, I, I speak for myself and Kyle. It was a pleasure having both of you on. I think this was very refreshing. You know, having just an episode just towards the Leafs, and I think it was fitting. Fitting. Yeah, <laughs> given given you know the whole the whole you know how tumultuous it's been this week with all the shakeups. So uh, yeah, pleasure having you lads on. Uh, hopefully we can do it again at some point. Sure. And uh, yeah, until next time, we we hope the audience enjoyed this as much as we did. And uh, until our next episode, Rink Moose is signing off. <laughs>